Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of a Trophy Life podcast. I'm your host, Bob Rathbun, greeting you from Atlanta. Trust that you and yours are safe and healthy. Got a big show for you lined up this week, a great interview with our first recipient of the Official of the Year Award. Naismith started handing that out back in the late 1980s, and Joe Forte was the first referee to win, and he is our guest this week with some great stories about his days as a college referee and in the NBA, and a a great story around Michael Jordan that I'm sure you will enjoy. A Trophy Life is brought to you by Citizen Watch, proud sponsor of the Citizen Naismith Player of the Year Awards. Citizen EcoDrive watches are powered by light and never need a battery. Visit us at citizenwatch.com. Citizen, better starts now. We have a few news and notes of the week before we get to Joe Forte. I want to share those with you. FIBA has set the dates for the next Basketball World Cup. The 2023 event will take place from August 25th through September the 10th of that year. The group games will be played in Indonesia, Japan, and the Philippines. The final phase, including the medal games, will be played in Manila. It's the first time that the World Cup, that used to be known as the World Championships, will be played across multiple countries. You'll recall Spain is the defending champion, beating Argentina for the title in Beijing last August. The NCAA is streamlining its evaluation tool for selecting NCAA tournament teams. The five components of the NCAA evaluation tool will be trimmed to two for next season. The remaining factors include the Team Value Index, a result-based feature that rewards teams for beating quality opponents, and they'll also include an adjusted net efficiency rating. Now, the adjusted efficiency rating is a team's net efficiency based upon strength of opponent and location for all games played. Strength of schedule also has been modernized to reflect a truer measure of how difficult it is to defeat opponents based on a difficulty score for each game. The net will no longer include winning percentage, adjusted winning percentage, or scoring margin. Now, the NCAA adopted the net rankings back in 2018 to replace RPI as a key tool in evaluating teams for the tournament. And we'd like to send our congratulations on to the college basketball victory leader of all time, Gene Bess of Three Rivers College in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, has announced his retirement at age 85. In 50 seasons as the head coach at Three Rivers, he won 1,300 games. That's 143 more than Division I leader Mike Krzyzewski of Duke. And Coach Best led the Raiders to national titles in 1979 and 1992. You may remember one famous player that played at Three Rivers, Latrell Sprewell. Went on from Three Rivers to Alabama and then on to the NBA. This week, my guest is Joe Forte. And what a remarkable career Joe Forte has put together. He is the only referee in the history of basketball to work as a referee in a state high school championship game, an NCAA championship game, an NBA finals series, and an Olympic gold medal game. How about that? Joe worked in the college ranks for many years, worked five Final Fours, two national championship games, including that famous NC State Houston game, went to the NBA in 1988 and worked 22 years there, 134 playoff games and two NBA finals, and what a crowning achievement it was for him to be selected to represent the U.S. as the 
Olympics official, and he worked the gold medal game in Seoul back in 1988. He's got some great stories, a terrific referee and a great friend to our club. Here is our guest this week, Joe Forte. Well, it's a thrill to welcome in a great friend of the Naismith Awards, and that is a former award winner, and it is one for being the College Official of the Year. He was our first winner of that award. It is none other than the great Joe Forte joining us from his home here in Georgia. Joe, how are you, and how is your family holding up through all this? Great. I'm doing great, and uh, we're holding up as well as, as we possibly can you know, doing the social distancing, so forth and so on. We uh, we all got together on yesterday to celebrate Mother's Day with Scott and Brian and their families. And it was a little strange when you're with them. Everybody's kind of separated. But it's always great to see the, the grandchildren and, and, and your family. A little difficult on my wife because she's having a hard time that able to see the grandchildren as as much as she would like to but we're all adjusting just like all all other americans are absolutely well it's late great that everybody's healthy that's number one on the list joe let's talk a little bit about your great career because um, no broadcaster has a greater friend than i do with you when it comes to officiating because when you showed up at an acc game that i was doing or an nba game i knew that if i had any problems or questions you would be right there to help. And uh, so for all of us, all the broadcasters that you helped over the years, we say thank you because uh, it just meant so much to us. And you still uh, are imparting that knowledge. And, of course, we see your son, Brian. You mentioned him a second ago. Uh, Where's your number 45 in the NBA as we speak? So uh, thank you from all of us. How in the world did you get started calling basketball games? Well, it all started back when I was playing at High Point University. I went to High Point on a baseball-basketball scholarship, and part of the physical education curriculum curriculum that I was involved in, that was my major with a minor in science, uh, we had to officiate the intramural programs. So we, I did football, touch football, flag football, and softball, and basketball. And the, the strangest thing was when... I did my first intramural game. It was against the fraternities, so I knew all the guys. And it was fun calling fouls on them and throwing them out of the game. And so the first time I ever did it and put a whistle in my mouth and and started going up and down the court, it was something that I just felt comfortable doing. And I guess that was because I was always involved in basketball. I started at it young age in the South Bronx, and then uh, moved out to Levittown, Long Island, played high school basketball. So I was always on the basketball court. So refereeing was just like an extension of that. It's like I was in my office. I was in my element. It was just a, a, a feeling that I knew that I loved doing it, and it was fun, and I could be successful at it. And that's how it started. And then when um, I went up to Washington, D.C., I did some teaching in, at Baloo High School, Washington, D.C., and got out of uh, coaching and teaching. And that was the first time, Bob, in my life that I was kind of divorced from the game, either as a player or a coach. So I just 
started, you know, I joined the local high school association up there in the Washington area. And I just began refereeing on the high school level. And all I wanted to do was referee high school basketball. I mean, that's, I was happy with that. But each year, just things started developing for me. And then I got into uh, Division Two and Division Three, and then Division One, and it just escalated from there. So, Joe, give us a time frame. What years are we talking about when you got started? I started in the 1969-70 season. I refereed for 40 years. I got into uh, college officiating in 1974, Division One, and then um, I worked. Uh, my first NCAA game with Irv Brown, who was a very successful referee out of the Pac-10, and it was Kentucky against Florida State at the University of Tennessee back in the old two-man games, uh, two-man system. And that was the year that Kentucky went on and won the national championship. Uh, so that was like, what, 77 or so, 76? Mm-hmm. Somewhere in that. And that's when I worked. Right, late 70s. Yeah, late 70s. And that's when I worked my first NCAA tournament. Well, coming up and getting started refereeing college basketball, you, of course, became one of the finest college officials out there, and you worked all the high-profile games in the ACC, and I think that's where a lot of fans – will first remember you, but before you got to the bright lights of the ACC, there were a lot of games along the way, and I I think of so many stories that we've shared over the years, and you've got to have one. Refereeing Gary Williams, when he was the head coach at American, and they played at the Fort. Tell people about those days. Gary Williams at American University played at Fort Myers. And he was, you know, there were some really great coaches at American University that went on, Tom Young, uh, Gary, and that went on to uh, become very successful coaches. And we were going up and down the court, and he had a pocket full of money. And I think it was for the, their uh, uh, dinner or something for the players. You know, it was the players' money that they give for dinner and stuff. And he got excited and threw all that money. Money came flying out of his pocket and went flying on the floor. And he was yelling at me. And I told him, Gary, you don't have enough money to get to me. But <laughs> <laughs> so he started picking up all his money. But he, he, was a, he was a great coach. He was a great coach. Joe, you worked the biggest ACC games. Um, what a time to be in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Every game was huge. Um, you know, the league was not nearly as far flung back then as it is now. Uh, the rivalries, the coaches, uh, the pressure, the pack gyms, arenas, you name it. Um, it. For a college referee, I can't imagine it got any better than that during that time. No, it was great because we had eight teams, and we really, you know, the thing about the ACC is that Everything was great about it. You had great coaches. You had great players. You had wonderful facilities to referee in. And you had great referees. I mean, I refereed with some of the – go back with Hank Nichols and Paul Hausman 
and Lenny Wirtz and uh, John Moreau, and then earlier that, Freddie Heichel and Mosier. You know, these are names that young referees don't know, and I wish they would know a little bit about the history. When we were working those games, we got a buck twenty-five. These guys are now making $3,600 a game, which is great. <laughs> but at, the thing about it was that every team was really, really good. There were no off nights when you had a conference game. If Duke was number one, and let's just say whoever was in eighth place, that was a tough game because they were all good. I mean, you, you look at the players back then. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal basketball. It was just a great league to work in. It was I, I really enjoyed it. You know, you mentioned Paul Hausman and Hag Nichols, and the three of you work an NCAA championship game. And it ends up being NC State and Houston, which I think a lot of us have watched during the downtime here as they have replayed that game. And that's the famous uh, Derek Wittenberg air ball that Lorenzo Charles dunks at the buzzer and NC State pulls off this humongous upset. Uh, One of two championship games that you worked out of five Final Fours. But for the three of you basically working ACC games to do that final was pretty incredible. Yeah, it was. And the thing about that uh, season that I that I remember is when you went to the NCAA, that was a year that when you worked the first and second round, they moved you as an individual. And then when you got into the the uh, the next round, they put you in a crew, and then you would move as a crew. So. I'll never forget this. I'm sitting in my home in Atlanta, and I get the call from the NCAA, and the woman says, Joe, you're going to move on to uh, Knoxville. I believe it at that time it was the Midwest. And you're going to be teamed with Hank Nichols and Paul Hausman. I kind of took the phone away from my ear and kind of giggled a little bit and I said okay when when do I need to be there etc 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 and she told me and so when I hung up I yelled down to my wife and I said honey pack your bags we're going to Albuquerque (laughs) the deck was stacked (laughs) true I mean you had Hank Nichols who worked you know several NCAAs and you had Paul who was who's a great referee. We all, you know, we work together so much and our team chemistry on the court was just phenomenal because we enjoyed being with each other. We enjoyed refereeing together. And I just knew that we were just going to move right on. And we had some really good games. We had the uh, Indiana Kentucky game where Kentucky beats them towards the end. And then the finals was Louisville, Kentucky in the dream game. They hadn't played for like 50-something years. And we had that one. And then we moved on, and we had uh, Houston against Louisville. And then we worked the finals, which was NC State and uh, Houston. Incredible. And, you know, we were in the locker room after the, uh, the semifinal game. And Hank said, there's no way that they're going to put an all-ACC crew on this game. 
not going to happen. And I'll never forget, I told Hank, I said, Hank, well, you might be right. You know these folks better than I do. But I do know one thing. He said, what's that? I said, they're taking an awful long time to come in here to tell us we're not working. And I said, I think that's a good sign. And the other thing is, they're, you know, you, you got to go with the best crew. And sure enough, they came in and said, you guys are moving on to the finals. There you go. Wow. So let's advance to 1988, Joe, and you win uh, the – College Referee of the Year, uh, as handed out by the Naismith Trophy, and uh, you're the first winner of this new award. And, boy, that had to really uh, mean something to you to cap off a great college career because that's the year you left to go to the NBA. Yes, and that was the year that I worked the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And receiving that award was just phenomenal Um, to be the first um, I, I can't express how much it meant to me. And um, as you recall, Patty Broderick won it on the female side, and I know it meant as much to her as it did, you know, to me. To be, you know, the first to start it off was phenomenal, and I know that all the college referees. You know, strive to uh, receive that award because it's just a phenomenal accomplishment, and I, I was really thankful and, and very moved that that I received it. Well, they couldn't have picked a better guy to kick it off. You and and Patty on the on the women's side as well. So it was on to the NBA, and uh, what a career! Uh, Twenty two years. The the league at, in eighty eight had expanded uh, to do the three man crews. And and they uh, they needed more referees. What what uh, made you decide to go to the pros? Was it just sort of the natural evolution of your career? When I started refereeing, I back in the uh, late seventies, I worked in the Eastern League, which was like the uh, D League today, or the Continental League before it became the D-League, um, and it was where you would go and referee to try to get into the NBA because I had aspirations of doing that. And back during that period of time, the NBA only had like, I don't know, 10, 12 teams or so. Their staff was like about 20 guys, and they were all independent contractors. And so I was working in that league with Joey Crawford and Dick Bavetta, Jackie Neese worked in the league. And I think it was 77 or so that the NBA referees decided to form their union. And Daryl Gerritsen became their spokesperson. So they formed the union. John Nucatello was the supervisor at the time. And they they went into negotiations with the NBA and they couldn't uh, ratify a contract. So the NBA referees went on strike and the NBA office asked a lot of the guys in the Eastern league to work, work the strike. And I didn't feel comfortable doing that. So I, I didn't do it. 
So in the back of my mind, I always had this little voice back there saying that I would like to be an NBA referee. Then in 88, it was the right time for me because the kids were a little bit older. I basically, you know, did as much as you could in college. And I had the opportunity. I had opportunities prior to that, but I decided not to because it just didn't feel right for me and my family at the time. 88 was the perfect time for for me to go in. And that's when I decided that I was going to take take the move and go into the NBA. Well, you made the right call. Uh, 22 years, 134 playoff games. Um, sadly, your your career ended uh, with an injury at the tail end. But two finals, uh, I mean, it was just remarkable. And I think a lot of people, Joe, these days are watching this uh, because of the pandemic. We have no live sports. So they're watching The Last Dance, this documentary on – Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And, of course, there you are right in the middle of all this, uh, calling these these games, these playoff games and these high-profile games. And I think the natural question for a lot of our fans listening is, what was it like, you know, as an official while all this is going on? Because one of the big themes that we've heard during this um, documentary is that, wow, it was so much more physical back then than it is today. So give us the a first-hand insider's view of what it was like with that whole Michael Jordan circus and, and the uh, the whole scene in the NBA back in the late 80s and early and through the 90s. Yeah. Well, the thing that I hated about uh, the way my career ended was, as you said, was on an injury. And so I my last year, I, I wasn't able to work the playoffs, which was the first time I didn't work it in my whole career. I worked it 21 out of 22 years, which which was pretty neat. But anyway, getting back to Michael, I I was lucky because I refereed Michael when he was in college. Mm-hmm. And then he, he goes into the NBA, and then I went into the NBA. And it was really remarkable to see how he matured and how he got stronger. Because at that time, you know, in, in the late 80s and the early 90s, as you know, the game was very physical. And so he, he realized that he needed to do something with his body to get stronger. And, he, and, and it was really neat to see how he matured physically and mentally and became tougher every year. And he was such a great player and just really great to referee. I, I, I can remember times when I was in the lead position and that's the referee underneath the basket. And I look out there and Michael would have the ball up around the top of the key or something. And those eyes would get big and that tongue would start waggling. And you just knew he was coming down the lane. I mean, you just knew he was going to take it to the basket. And when he did, you couldn't stop him. You couldn't stop him. And during that period of time, we also had all the great players. I mean, Dominique was a great player, great scorer. And, and you had Magic and Larry. And I just remember all those guys that when they wanted to score, you weren't going to stop them. You weren't going to stop them. And the thing that I remember most about Michael was 
I believe this is like in the early 90s, Scotty Skiles was with the Pacers, the Indiana Pacers. And Michael's coming down on a break. And I'm coming down the sideline. And Michael now decides he's going to take it to the basket. Scotty Skiles is like three feet in front of the rim getting ready to take the charge. So as I'm coming down, I see Michael just take it right to the basket. Scotty's right there. And in the basketball mind of refereeing, you anticipate play, right? So I knew we were going to have a collision. And it was either going to be an offensive foul or a block. All of a sudden, Michael jumps. His right arm is extended with the ball, which was like a ping pong ball in his hand. His tongue is out, jumps, splits Scotty Skiles, jumps over him, and dunks him. Dunks on him. Most, it, was the mo- it was phenomenal. I couldn't believe it. And, and the great thing about it is, downstairs in my, my room, I have a framed six-foot poster of that, of that play, that shot. Oh, that's outstanding. Yeah, it is unbelievable. And every time I go down there and uh, look at it, I just kind of replay that in my mind. But he was such a phenomenal player. And you didn't have to make a call. No, I didn't have to make the call. And, you know, and I said to myself, thanks, Mike. <laughs> I said, I didn't have to make the call for Scotty. You know, he's just standing there. Michael just goes right over and splits his legs and dunks right over him. That was phenomenal. But, you know, back then, and, you know, back the the late 80s to what mid 90s or so you know the game was really physical and a lot different than it was today and I'll never forget we went to uh, camp and Rod Thorne comes in he was uh, vice president of basketball operations at the time and he, he puts up a film of back in the day with the Knicks and the Lakers playing in the championship and there was a lot of spacing. The game wasn't really that physical. And we're watching this. And he says, this is what we're going to get back to. And that's when all of the new rules came in with the freedom of movement and the hand checking and all of that. Wow. And back during the day when I came in, yes, the game was physical. I mean, when you went down the lane, you were going to pay a price. There, there were some, they, they, would, they would hit you. You know, which in my mind, Joe, really uh, points out just how phenomenal these guys were. Uh, as you mentioned, when they made up their mind to score, they were going to score, and that is in the face of all of this contact. Uh, and it wasn't it wasn't just a little contact. I mean, they're trying to take your head off, and yet these guys were able to score through all that. I, I know. It was just – I mean, it's just phenomenal. I, you, you would – like – I. I could see, I can remember Carl Malone. He would drive it to the basket, and a defender would grab his arm. And he'd just rip right through it, go right up and dunk it. I mean, they played through contact. It was just phenomenal to see, which just goes to show you how strong they are. I mean, they, they were tremendous athletes. Um in great shape, and and they really played hard. 
night after night. They they played hard, and the bodies were banging. And and that's how we refereed the game. You know, back then we just refereed the game really on controlling it and trying to use good judgment on what was a foul and what what wasn't a foul. Wow, Joe, we could talk all night. I love these stories. But before we let you go, uh, you've got a podcast that I want our our listeners to be aware of: the art of officiating with Joe Forte. What do you guys talk about? Um, I. I wanted to do something. I thought about writing a book, and I, I still might. But I just wanted to have a podcast that was for referees uh, to give them all of the knowledge that I received throughout my officiating career. And as you go through this path and, and this road of officiating, you know, you pick up a little bit here and pick up some from this guy. And, you know, I go back to when I started two-man crews and I was working with Hanzo or Jimmy Hernjack or Freddie Heichel or even Hank. And after the game, we would sit down and, and, you know, talk about basketball. And basically, that's how we learned. And so through the podcast, we show play, plays. We have a, a YouTube connection where I break down plays. And the bottom line is it's all about trying to make referees better, giving them all the knowledge that I have received from all the people that I worked with so I can share that with them. And that's basically what it is. And, you know, and we just we talk and I'll have some interviews with some referees and, you know, we'll talk about game management or we'll talk about rules, plays, you know, court coverage, things of that nature. So it's like classroom discussion. I am a fan of it. Uh, It's such a great learning tool for me, but I would encourage our listeners here on a trophy life to check it out as well. It's a big part of our game. Uh, the plays that come up, you know, the situations, um, learning the rules for broadcaster obviously is, is crucial. But I think the fans will get a big kick out of it too. And and if you if you learn a few things along the way, you know that you've been learning from the master. Our guest today, Joe Forte. Joe, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Uh, congratulations again on a just an unbelievable career. But your Naismith Award and uh, all the best to you. Thanks for taking time. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate it. Joe, thank you very much. Great stories, and congratulations on your first Naismith Collegiate Official of the Year Award. You really set the bar high for those who followed. It's a great award because the referees look so forward to seeing which referees will be named. Uh, They're so happy for their peers. It's a great award. I'm glad we do it, and uh, it's a great part of our game that needs to be recognized. Those referees, men and women, uh, work so hard to... uh, bring us college basketball and referees at all levels uh, should be recognized and Joe's one of the very best. You know, we've all got a lot of time on our hands these days, so good time to surf the web and why not check out citizenwatch.com and you can check out their great selection of EcoDrive watches powered by light, never need a battery. Check them out at citizenwatch.com. That's going to do it for this week. We'll be back again next week with our next Trophy Life podcast. Wherever you may be, please be healthy, safe, 
And uh, we'll look forward to talking more hoop with you next week. From Atlanta, Bob Rathbun saying so long.